It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno. I'm Guy Benson. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's primary day in a swing state tilting red, but this state Senate primary may also serve as a test of former President Trump's endorsement power and whether he's still a kingmaker. Again, if J.D. Vance does not win in Ohio, it's going to be a big, big red flag for Trump's ability to handpick uh, candidates and remake the image of the party entirely. I'm Dave Anthony. A new report shows over a year's time the FBI did millions of electronic searches on Americans without a warrant. We now have proof that, indeed, Big Brother's alive and kicking. And they're knocking on our door constantly. They're listening to our phones. They are recording messages. And I'm Ben Domenech. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's primary day in Ohio, and while voters will pick their party candidates in 15 congressional districts, as well as in races for governor, secretary of state, and attorney general, the Senate seat, now open as Republican Rob Portman retires, has brought in a lot of cash and generated a lot of headlines. Republicans have spent much of their time fighting over who is Trumpier. But when the former president picked his guy a couple of weeks ago, some Ohio conservatives were upset. I want to pick somebody that's going to win, and this man is going to win. The club for Growth, which has backed former Ohio State Treasurer Josh Mandel, quickly put out an ad questioning Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance, who had once said some highly critical things about the former president and Republicans in general. Look, I love Trump, but he's getting it wrong with J.D. Vance, too. We've got our own eyes and our own ears. J.D. Vance is a fraud. But polling showed Vance moving up after the endorsement. According to Real Clear Politics, he's now got a three and a half point lead over Mandel. Some voters have warmed to Vance. I felt like he had the greatest clarity of any of the candidates on the spectrum of issues. I read his book and I've just been following him. I believe in pro-life. I'm very pro-life and that's important to me. In just a couple of weeks, another Trump endorsement will be tested in Pennsylvania. Trump has gone with Dr. Oz in the Senate primary, but he's up against candidate David McCormick and the race is still considered highly competitive, even after Trump's endorsement. In Ohio, the drama ahead of the endorsement was high, with Senate GOP candidates Mandel and Mike Gibbons physically confronting each other on a debate stage. And headed today, candidate Matt Dolan, the Republican who did not seek Trump's endorsement, claimed surging poll numbers show undecided voters are breaking for him. The biggest race is going to be the Republican primary for the Senate, and it's going to offer some direction to political journalists like myself on how strong of a grip the former president has over the Republican Party. Josh Krausauer is a Fox News radio political analyst and against the grain columnist. Donald Trump a few weeks ago endorsed J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy. He's a venture capitalist. He's become one of the more Trumpier candidates, but he was also one of the leading Trump critics when Trump first ran for president in 2016, and he was not doing all that well in the polls. Trump endorsed him. He's moved into first place, but not by a significant margin. This is one of Trump's best opportunities on the political map to 
help nominate a Republican that's going to get elected to higher office. He's not doing very well in a lot of other primaries, a lot of other states. So uh, if he doesn't get J.D. Vance across the finish line in Ohio uh, this week, it's going to be a very long May and perhaps a foreshadowing the fact that Trump doesn't have quite the hold on the Republican Party that he once did as president. Let's go back in time a little bit. We saw in the polling Mike Gibbons, the investment banker, businessman. He was up for a while. And then Josh Mandel took back over that lead, which he had previously, the former state treasurer. I think this is his third time running now for Senate. But once Trump backed J.D. Vance, the polls shifted again. And I want to know... Is this Vance's to lose? Because you just like you just said, he's not up by like double digits or anything. It's a smaller margin. And taking over the third place spot, you might think it would have been Mr. Gibbons. But it looks like Matt Dolan has taken that slot. And now he's arguing that the large number of undecideds are starting to make a pick. And those might be for him. Yeah, so Jessica, this is a really interesting dynamic in the primary because you have four candidates that are running largely as hardcore Trump fans. And you have one candidate who you just mentioned, the state senator, Matt Dolan, who also owns the the Cleveland baseball team, the Guardians, uh, and there's a lot lot of money to spend, who's running as sort of a a more pragmatic uh, campaign, who's running not towards Trump, but sort of towards traditional conservatism. And the question is, how much of that Republican electorate is still old school? Are are they still more in the John Kasich, Rob? Portman, wing of the Republican Party, conservative, but not to the extreme of of where Trump wants to take them. And, you know, you just saw this weekend, Jessica, that Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gaetz, some of the more, you know, right wing entertainment figures from the Republican ecosystem in Washington campaigning with J.D. Vance. You had Mike Flynn, who, you know, has a whole lot of baggage coming to campaign for Josh Mandel, a lot of very extreme figures. And you have someone like Dolan is just hanging out, not getting attacked, and now uh, seems to be getting quite a bit of momentum in the hmm. polls. The only question is, you know, how big is that share of the Republican primary vote that's not quite as MAGA-oriented? And is the momentum coming too late? Is Dolan peaking too late, or is it at just the right time to win, perhaps, the primary? Josh, let's expand on the power of a Trump endorsement. We had Mr. Gibbons, Mr. Vance, and Mr. Mandel all on this podcast, and they said they were the Trumpiest. And I want your thoughts on what it means if Trump's pick loses. And I also want to consider Pennsylvania as well with this, because after Trump endorsed Dr. Oz in that Senate race, the Republican leader in one county was so upset, he said the Trump era is over in Pennsylvania. If Trump's pick loses, does he just say, well, it doesn't really matter because they all wanted my endorsement anyway? And, oh, by the way, these people think they're more pro-Trump than the man himself. So it depends on what your frame of reference is. Certainly, Trumpism is now a a powerful, potent force in today's Republican Party. But Trump's role as kingmaker, as the guy who can anoint Republican candidates like he did as president, is also not the same as what it once was. So there's some middle ground where I think the sweet spot uh, in today's Republican uh, electorate, or at least to win in a Republican-leaning state like Ohio, is to be supportive of Trump, supportive of Trump's policies, but maybe 
maybe not be quite as beholden to the former president. In fact, J.D. Vance at the rally that Trump did in Ohio said he was going to endorse Trump for 2024 already before he even makes his uh, his announcement <laughs> plan. So when you're that in love with the former president, that's where I think it gets a little bit too far, a little bit politically risky. And uh, that's where, you know, Vance, Mandel and to a lesser extent, Gibbons have been in that space politically in the Republican primary. Let's talk about the latest Fox News poll from April 20th to 24th of Ohio Republicans after Trump endorsed Vance. It still showed 25% undecided. 51% said they were open to changing their minds. And when asked what's important, 51% said a candidate who can win. Just 27% said a candidate who is a strong Trump supporter. It seems like that's kind of getting to your earlier point, right? There's still a lot of flexibility and there's a difference between being the, the kingmaker and being sort of in line with Trump's policies or what Trump stood for. Yeah, the, the undecided share of the vote in that poll was winning. Uh, the undecided, if, there was a, <laughs> if there was a winner, it would be undecided in the Fox poll that was just done, you know, two weeks before the actual election. So I think anyone who thinks they know who's going to win it is fooling themselves because there's a lot of volatility. Republicans are still paying attention. They're still trying to figure out who these candidates are, what they stand for. Uh, certainly for Vance, having the Trump seal of approval in a crowded field is a huge political asset. No doubt about it it. But he's only at, you know, what was it, mid-20s in that poll, the, the Fox poll. He's even got a narrower lead in a few other polls that have been out since the Fox poll came out. Trump is far from a you know dominant force and being able to handpick primary winners. We're seeing that in Ohio, and we're also seeing it to a greater extent in a state like Georgia, which has a, a governor's primary coming up in a few weeks. Pennsylvania, you mentioned Dr. Oz not really getting a whole lot of traction from Trump's endorsement. Uh, you know, if, again, if J.D. Vance does not win in Ohio, it's going to be a big, big red flag for Trump's ability to handpick uh, candidates and remake the image of the party entirely going forward. Tim Ryan's a Democrat. Doesn't look like he's really going to have a tough primary race. Um, he's a longtime Ohio congressman. His campaign has really been all about one of Trump's main themes, China, manufacturing, jobs. I don't know what kind of polling there is at this point comparing Tim Ryan to any of the potential Republican challengers, maybe J.D. Vance or Josh Mandel. Um, what do you think of that? It, he could put up some kind of fight. I can't imagine two Democratic senators out of Ohio, which is leaning red, but that's why we have somebody on like you. Well, keep in mind, the Republican environment across the country, but certainly in Ohio, which voted for Donald Trump twice, trended towards Donald Trump and the Republican Party under him the last six years. It's going to be really tough, even for a really good candidate like Tim Ryan, to overcome that partisan reality. Hmm. But at the same time, if Republicans nominate someone who's too exotic, too extreme, is you know alienating the swing voters, the, the folks who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump, if someone's too out of the mainstream, and I think Josh Mann might qualify given how far to the right he's run this campaign. Uh, you know, I think Vance, you know, he's going to have some vulnerabilities of his own. But, you know, I think you, you start out this race with Republicans being favored. But with a strong Democratic candidate like Tim Ryan and perhaps a weak uh, Republican challenger, this could get this could get very interesting. And, and, and by the way, Tim Ryan uh, isn't just uh, a good candidate because he's been in Congress and has some political experience. He is actively challenging the progressive wing of his own party. He was just interviewed by Politico uh, today and said masks suck. He is attacking China 
in his first campaign ad. It, he got right. attacked by, by, by the left of his own party for being xenophobic because they didn't like he with the fact that he was focused on China and so critical of China as aggressively as he was. That is the kind of formula for how Democrats can win, even in a tough environment, even in a reddish state like Ohio. The House seats, I know with redistricting, there was some confusion about what was actually going to be on the May 3rd ballot. But just briefly, Josh, the congressional districts are on the May 3rd ballot, right? It's the state House and state Senate races that didn't make it on, right? That's right. There was a lot of wrangling in the courts over whether the maps that Republicans drew in Ohio were constitutional. Turns out that the state Supreme Court ruled they weren't, but the congressional maps that the Republicans drew a second time will be used for this May 2022 election. Uh, the state legislative maps still up for grabs, still still in court. So you are going to see a bunch of uh, congressional primaries in play. Uh, there, there are a lot of races that are going to be competitive in November. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of candidates I'm watching closely in those down ballot races. Finally, Josh, let's not forget about Indiana. It's their primary day, too. Um, the Senate seat will be defended by Republican Todd Young. Uh, he and his Democratic opponent have no intra-party challengers, it appears, so that's set. But the 9th District, Trey Hollingsworth has said he's not seeking re-election. And nine Republicans are fighting to be the nominee, three Democrats as well. Does this seat look flippable? Or are you looking more at Indiana's 1st District, which is held by a Democrat? So the ninth district is, is not going to be a swing district in the general election, but there's a primary that's pretty interesting between a former congressman who I covered almost a decade ago uh, in, in Washington named Mike Sodrell, who retired and is pretty conservative. And he's running against uh, Aaron Hochin, who's uh, perhaps a little more moderate, former state senator. A lot of Republicans think she's an up-and-coming political talent. Uh, the first district may be the more interesting one because it's a seat that's been in Democratic hands for, for decades. It's it's up in northwest Indiana, Gary, Indiana, a lot of mm. working-class towns on the Illinois border. This district has gotten a lot Trumpier over the last few years, and Republicans think that they can win this district in a good environment. Two candidates running to keep an eye on, Jennifer Ruth Green, who is a reserve lieutenant colonel, uh, who is getting a lot of enthusiastic support from national Republicans. And there's also a, a slightly more moderate candidate, Blair Milo, who is, is a little more on the anti-Trump side of the party, uh, who's also running in the Republican primary in Indiana. So these are two pretty good candidates that could give uh, Congressman Mervin a run for his money come November. Josh, not sure how you keep it all straight in your head, but this is why we call you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jessica. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. This is Ben Dominich with your Fox News commentary coming up. Did the FBI do an electronic search on you without a warrant? Maybe. A report that came out the other day from the Director of National Intelligence shows the FBI conducted 3.4 million warrantless searches of Americans' information between December 1st, 2020 and November of last year, all related to surveillance on non-Americans done by the National Security Agency. A majority of the searches were related to the threat of Russian hackers in the same time period as the solar winds infiltration and the hack that shut down the Colonial Pipeline. 
Technology expert Kurt the Cyber Guy says it confirms we're all subject to being monitored. We sort of suspected many people were convinced, but never was there evidence. Kurt Knudsen has a newsletter you can subscribe to at cyberguy.com. Never did the government actually come out in a report and say, yeah, we're watching you. Yes, we're listening to your digital devices. Yes, we record your data. What's the asterisk, though? It's not just every, not just everybody all the time. You have to get caught up in some net at some point. Well, we don't, don't you? know what they're doing all the time. We just know what they told us. Okay. It's under the auspice of Section 702 of FISA, which was, you know, the law that was enacted right after 9-11 when we were really concerned about, at any moment, another terror attack right. coming against U.S. soil. Right. And so this law enables government agencies without a warrant to go in and simply listen and record data, but okay. it's meant to be for international sure. sources. FISA is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, so we're supposed to be doing non-American surveillance. So in the course of that, a phone number or a name or an email address comes up right for an American, and, and they do a search. Is that the idea behind Boy, it? that sounds like a great idea. Okay. It sounds pretty limiting. But it also sounds, by a lot of the indications of this release, that you and I could be working for the government and search for Cheerios. And if that's your mom, who happened to be talking to her friend about her favorite breakfast cereal— well, then all of a sudden she's caught up in a net of her data being pulled in. Because okay. then they're going to say, okay, well, she's also talking about that very dangerous Cheerios. we gotta got to find out about your mom. So there's really no cap here. There's no clarity as to how deep they go in gathering Americans' data in the process of going after foreign concerns. What kind of data are we talking about? Do you know for sure what they're going after? We don't know, but what we do know is what they did with it most recently and okay. that, that caused this report to come out. So essentially, uh, and, and you know what? There's a double-edged sword here. So you got to say, thank you, FBI. You went and took the NSA's data, which they are the ones who really come through and do the super secret stuff. Right. But you got access to it. You did the work to find out and thwart, according to your claims, an attack from Russia against uh, the cyber interests or infrastructure interests in this country. Namely, it was routers that they were going after. Routers that you and I might be connecting through to do simple things like check our bank balance or do some grocery shopping or find out how if the bus is on time. Right. Things we use every day that we take advantage of. And apparently the FBI had identified the fact that Russia had embedded itself deeply inside of many of these routers at the core level. And what does that mean? It means that there was at least the possibility that the Russian government could, at any moment, pull a trigger to not only make these routers turn off, but brick them. Brick them meaning kill them. Right. Just make them go out of service. Is this all the solar winds thing? It's part of that. It sure is. Solar winds is really the big first thing that was caught okay. and, and, and still remains a big concern. We know that in this particular case where they went out and scrubbed these routers of this Russian suspected software, that there was some level of a secret warrant, but it was never made public. And at the same time, they not only had the access to go in, but they scrubbed it out. 
they actually outsmarted the Russians at this moment where they found a way to have the malware think that the FBI's solution was the controlling mechanism for it. Okay. So they took control of the malware, got rid of it, and patched up other holes they, they saw in those routers that said, oh, wait a minute, I see some Swiss cheese of security threat here. Let's plug those up. So they admitted to plugging up some security holes. Okay. And that's what we talk about, with the ability to shut down part of the U.S. infrastructure, the idea to stop gas pumps working at certain brand stations to turn off oil pipelines. Oh, wait, they did. They actually did the colonial sure. pipeline. And they have proven already that they could shut down a power plant here by triggering a safety mechanism that had the plant automatically shut down briefly found it and said, holy moly. See, I'm trying to decide. I, I understand the, the the concern of our privacy because the FBI can have the power to do this. But at the same time, shouldn't I also be more concerned with what Russia is trying to do? And shouldn't it be, isn't it good that the U.S. was That's able to do this? That's a double-edged sword. So I like that they did this. Yeah. But I can't stand it when it comes to Big Brother. Yeah. I mean, what it is, is we now have proof that indeed, Big Brother's alive and kicking. And they're knocking on our door constantly. They're listening to our phones. They are recording messages. Facebook's listening to, is everybody listening? Is my iPhone listening to everything that we're doing right now? Let me ask you a simple question. Yeah. Um, what, what parts of the fine print that you said I agree to when you downloaded the last five apps on your phone were objectionable to you? Yeah, I didn't read it. Nobody did. Yeah. Nobody reads the fine print. And at that's least, why we have you. Did you notice that maybe in that fine print it said, and we have the power to own that and sell it to who we want or just give it away to who we want. So oftentimes they'll take this data and try to make money with it. And so they're selling our location constantly. They're also selling what they hear. They're also selling what they see. But now when you add it all together, the naked version of us today becomes a threat. What they have on us. And when I say they, I don't just mean the government. I'm talking about just data brokers that uh -huh. just want to turn a buck on your kid's head of where they are so that they can find out when the next bicycle can be sold to them. That goes on in such a frighteningly invasive way that if we saw it happening, everybody would freak out. Okay. So what should I do to make myself safer with my phone? First of all, um, every single thing you do should come with the auspice of, I'm not, this isn't private. Nothing you do on your phone is private. Nothing you do on your computer is private. The tablet. What do I buy bank, though? On um, I use an iPad for banking. Is that safe? Well, it's interesting you ask that question because bank level security is is not only the, the strongest, and they're also the most up-to-date as far as an industry goes. Okay. Um, do I online bank? I'm the cyber guy. I've been reporting on technology for a couple decades. Yeah. I do not put an ounce of any banking relationship online. You would think I'd be the advocate minute, of you, jumping on it. You and go to the bank and you go to a teller? Whenever you do banking, you do that. I do a phone and a fax. Nothing can move from, say, investment accounts online. I have no connection. And not okay. only that, I have said to my broker, put a message in my file that says, refuse all online transactions. I online bill pay. I shouldn't do that? Well, that's a cash account, a lot less threat. 
Okay. Because you're protected to a degree. Yeah. You know, you lose your credit card, someone steals it, swipes it. There are laws in place okay. to protect you. You're not responsible for it. But someone wants to move out your entire retirement, move it into crypto over okay. a period of time and fool you. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I'd say yeah. that's a big problem. So what else, what else should I be doing? So, I mean, the, the, the tips here, really, the takeaway is be mindful of the fact that nothing's private. So you've got to have antivirus protection as well as if you're going to do this kind of communication online, encrypt it, meaning use a VPN. There's a pile of them out there. What a VPN does is it puts everything you're doing in a bubble of security until it gets to where you want it to go or it's intended to go. Here's another issue. Apple AirTags, which are used to track things or people you don't want to lose. People also misuse them. We were terrified. We were scared. We, I, you know, just hurt and confused. Jennifer Gaston and her family were visiting Walt Disney World in Florida when her daughter got a notification on her phone that an AirTag was tracking her and had been for hours all through the Magic Kingdom. But they had no idea who planted it or where it was. When they left the park, they dumped everything out of their bags and shook all their clothing, and apparently the tag did fall out. They saw on her phone as they drove away, the device was no longer tracking them, still in the parking lot. For $29, you can buy an Apple AirTag. It is by far the best uh, wireless device I've seen hit the market. It's such a great, you don't have to pay a subscription. We have it on every, I got it on my golf clubs. I have it on my travel bag. Okay, right. I, I put two in my surfboard bag because <laughs> one- California the, guy. Yeah, two <laughs> two in my car because if what what you can do, like if, if a thief, just like the Gaston family, if, if you have an Apple device and one of these that doesn't belong to you is found with you, Apple sends you a warning and it oh, says, hey, okay. uh, by the way, there is this device. Now, if you don't answer it, it'll start chirping. And it gets louder and louder, and, ah. then, and and then it'll show you. And that's what happened. Primarily, this has to do with what we're seeing in those reports are suspicious spouses, uh, kids right. wanting to know where their parents are, parents wanting to know where kids are. Right. And then you have the real creeps that are dangerous that are just slipping them into, they're out at a bar having drinks, they see a really hot girl, and they're like, hey, you want to go home with me? And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm married. No, I'm just here with friends. Goodbye. They slip an air tag into her handbag, and now they're walking home behind her. Well, she's just then finding out it's a problem. What does she do? Well, in one case in New York City, she wasn't too far from a police precinct and walked in, thankfully. And they said, oh, yeah, we're hearing about this all of the this time. This really is. And so you don't know. They slip it into your pocket. Or they could slip it into your purse or book bag. So Apple has a problem. What do they do to fix it? They're trying. They're real. It's this is one of those things where it's it's got so much good value to it for finding lost things. I mean, we have one on our both our dogs, and just last week, one I could not find the dog anywhere, and I'm freaking out because it's a new puppy. Yeah, and I'm thinking people are weird right now in the world. Crime is high, and they're stealing dogs, especially puppies. And I am looking at this thing. Thankfully, at my phone. And I hit find, and I hear it beeping, so I know she's not that far away. There's some great value to that. I immediately could rest assured she was right there. It had some tremendous value. Bad people always ruin good things. Right. That's the thing. Like, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in the world that helps everybody's life. But you just, when you put a good thing in a bad person's hands, Uh. bad things are going to happen. Technology expert, Kurt, the cyber guy, Kurt Knudsen. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining us. 
hear the news? Now you can with instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it on demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Ben Dominic. What's on your mind? It's easy to feel torn about the right's enthusiasm for policy retaliation against woke corporate culture war aggressors. The decision by Florida Republicans to revoke Disney's special self-governing status in Orlando has inspired many conservatives, including some who might be sympathetic to a more populist conservatism, to worry about what this move might portend for the right's use of government power to fight their political opponents. Social media companies deplatforming conservative views is obnoxious, even dangerous. If bakers have a First Amendment right to choose with wedding they cater, and they do, Twitter should be able to choose who may post on their website. That's not something that can be easily resolved. Yet there is one argument supporting a Republican shift toward a more aggressive culture war policy platform that is far more persuasive, and it stems from the ubiquitous liberal clapback, build your own. Anytime conservatives complain about woke aggression, like social media deplatforming the Babylon Bee, Amazon not selling conservative books, Facebook hiding stories about Hunter Biden's laptop, you hear some version of this. One thing that makes the line compelling, it's a particularly conservative argument. Yes, these entities may want to put their thumb on the scale for progressivism, but it's a free country, brother. Quit your whining. If you want businesses and platforms to promote your views, go build them yourself. As a matter of principle, people should oppose using state power to punish partisan opponents just for exercising their constitutional right to engage public debates. So for a lot of libertarians and conservatives, as daunting as the task seems, maybe building our own cultural and economic ecosystem is the only honest way to compete, except we already did. Almost every institution left controls and has weaponized in the culture wars was created by and depends upon our special favorable treatment, even funding from all Americans. Conservatives don't have to build our own social media platforms. We already created them, just like liberals did when taxpayer funded research created the Internet. Conservatives don't have to build our own Disney since it's only by the generosity of the American people that Disney has enjoyed such special intellectual property protections for decades. We don't have to build our own financial system. We already did when we gave Wall Street the bailout it asked for in the financial crisis in 2008. We built our own sports leagues with tax breaks and subsidized stadiums. Where would politicized scientists and woke public health experts be without taxpayer funding. The problem for the left is that there is no serious consumer market demand for wokeness. It's all driven by leftist culture war aggression. U.S. economic policy is not neutral. It's a giant convoluted network of special treatment for special interests. So when elites who run such special interests launch a smug moral crusade against the same American people, who have showered them with special treatment, that abused, insulted public is well within its rights to withdraw some of its munificence. We don't have to give these people 
what they get from us. We don't have to automatically give them those tax breaks, those special carve-outs, that treatment that they no longer deserve. American companies should be American. I'm Ben Dominich. Listen and subscribe to the Ben Dominich podcast, which you can find at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.